Well, again, a warm, warm welcome to each of you and a special welcome to our guest this evening on this beautiful Christmas Eve. We welcome you as we seek to love God, serve others, and build sacred community as followers of Christ. A warm welcome. To, over these past weeks, we've been talking in our series about Advent and Incarnation, the gift of Jesus as Emmanuel, God is with us. And we've talked about Jesus as King and Anointed One, Christ, which is the Greek word for anointed, Messiah is the Hebrew word. And we've talked about all of the different scriptures that point to that. But tonight we come to kind of the fruition of all of this, the birth of Jesus, and when we turn to this story, and we've looked at other stories over these past weeks, the Matthew version of the birth story of Jesus, uh, we see all kinds of titles and so forth. But when we come to Luke, we really uh, find it an endearing passage. And, and we, we think about shepherds, right? And we think about angels. And we think about stables and mangers. And all of a sudden, all of our little nativity scenes come to mind. But the reality is, as much as we try to make it this perfect, beautiful, hallmark moment, it's not that at all, right? It, it really helps us to be reminded that Jesus came in the midst of uh, a Roman Empire occupying a person's land, uh, oppression, brokenness, fear, poverty, uncertainty, uh, people who felt hopeless or didn't know what the next day held, it, it, was, it was a real sign of, of challenge. Things were not as perfect as they seemed. I don't know about you. That's often what happens for me in the midst of Christmas, right? Maybe you have that too. You have all these plans, and they don't work out the way you thought they were going to work out. Anybody, right? So you thought you were going to have the perfect holiday meal, or you thought all of your relatives were going to show up, but somebody tested positive, right? Or maybe... You, you, you thought you'd cooked the perfect meal, but in essence you burned something, or the turkey's dry, or the ham's awful, and maybe it's really not, but aunt so-and-so always tells you how bad it is. Amen, right? It's hard for me, because I always have in mind, in all of the services, and all of the Advent experiences, that this is going to be the perfect year. Three years ago, if you remember, on this very night, in this very room... We didn't have such a perfect Christmas Eve service. Uh, pastor Josh was our associate pastor along with Pastor Clayton who had just come. And uh, we had a day of three services as we did today. And the first service went fairly well with some glitches and some challenges. But it went pretty well. And I said to the two of them as we went into the 430 service, which is our children and family service, <coughs> this is the challenge. Because there are all these children and it's beautiful but it's bedlam, okay? And I just tried to prepare them for that. And I said, if we can just get through 4.30, all will be well, right? And I'm always ready for some child to do something like tonight with the staff going up and down with the shepherd or something to be out of control. But three years ago, in 2018, 4.30 seemed perfect. The children sang better than they ever had, though our children are stellar most often, right? Um, and, and all of it came together, and the children's book reading went well, and it was just one of those beautiful nights. And as we sang and lit candles with the children, I thought, wow, this 4.30 service has been amazing. When we walked out and gathered in our offices to kind of prepare for this service, I said, it's all downhill from here, Right? The 10.30 service carries itself. It's going to be easy, and we're just going to have a glorious time. It's my favorite service. It'll be wonderful. 
So we gathered for the 1030 worship, and some of you were here. And overall, it began pretty well. But as we were in the midst of the scripture readings, and as the three clergy sat on this front pew, you may remember that in the midst of some very sacred and holy words, this tree went out, right? And it didn't just dimmer out. It was on a timer, and I think the click was as loud of a click as I've ever heard. I just remember staring and listening to Allison, who I think was reading that night, and I heard click, and this tree just went dark, star and all. I turned to Josh, I turned to uh, Clayton, I said, what are we going to do? Now, one thing you need to know about me, you may already know, I'm a little type A. Did you know that? (laughs) In fact, are anybody familiar with the Myers-Briggs? J, J, that's the the personality trait that's hyper-structured. I'm pathological, okay, right? And anybody study the Enneagram, another personality thing? I am a number one perfectionist, and I am in solid agreement with it totally, right? So it's hard for me when something doesn't go well, like a Christmas tree going dark. So I turn to Clayton and Josh, and Josh looks at me and says, I've got this. And I've never seen Josh move in this way before, but Josh kind of came up. Have you ever seen the Grinch where the Grinch slithers around the Christmas tree? (laughs) Josh made his way up here and under the tree and did something, and the miracle of miracles, the tree came back on. Right? Anybody remember that? And then we continue to hear the word red, and this tree clicks, (laughs) and it goes dark. And so, Pastor Clayton believed it was his turn, and he came around, and he got behind the tree, and a miracle of miracles, it came on. And all was right in the world, till this tree clicked off one more time, because (laughs) Pastor Josh had not changed the timer, he had just clicked it a little bit. I just was unnerved by the whole thing. And I won't go into the rest of the evening, but it all went downhill from there, amen? Yes, some of you know what happened. It was a crazy night. And I just remember sitting in the pew, and we're in the midst of the singing of the choir, and I just looked at them and went, you know, what are we going to do? And the trees are finally back on, and I think it was Pastor Clayton just leaned over and said, whether you believe this or not, Jesus will be born again. That was a good word for me, friends. That in the midst of all that can go wrong, and it does, in the midst of everything that doesn't turn out perfectly, and it doesn't, in the midst of missing people we love deeply, and in the midst of a pandemic where every day there's a new thing to learn, or a new thing to face, or a new variant in our midst, it's important to know As Pastor Clayton said, Jesus will be born, and indeed he will. The story from Luke is a beautiful story. We're endeared to it, but I want you to hear that it's not a perfect story, and it's not a perfect birth for a king or a messiah or the son of God. You need to know that Luke is deeply concerned about the poor and those on the edges and on the margins And the story, the birth story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament says that again and again. Luke also wants to show you how God uses powerful people to bring about the work of God in in our midst. And that's how the story begins. 
In those days a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus, the Emperor of Rome, for all the world to be registered. That's a census. We just had one of those. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to their hometowns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem. You see, Luke wants us to be reminded that Jesus falls in the lineage of King David, and the best way to do that is to be born in the city of David, which is the city of Bethlehem, right? The city of bread. I know you knew that. But you've got to know that in, in reality, Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. In fact, Joseph lived in a small backwater town called Nazareth. So God works through the powers that be, an emperor, a governor, a census, and taxes of all things, to bring about a need for Joseph to leave where he lives and go home to be registered for the census that's been declared. That'd be like, you know, if you're from here, but you have to go to Glenview, or if you're from here and you have to go to that weird place called Joliet, you know what I'm saying? It's that kind of thing that you have to travel back. And so Joseph and Mary begin that journey, and God uses the powers that be to make the prophecy complete. We're told that Joseph went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. Now, we read that because it's a beautiful story, right? But I want you to hear that. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged. Okay, we can get that, right? And they were expecting a child. So you can already see that the marriage is not complete, and we know the rest of that controversial story. So when people first read those words, what do you mean engaged but not married, right? So I'm sure the people in the village and others had things to say, and I'm sure a few people posted on Facebook and Twitter about this particular controversy. Whatever the case, while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in bands of cloth, because in the ancient world, you wrapped infants in, ancient, in bands of cloth to keep them straight and that they would grow right. And that's what we often know as swaddling clothes. And they laid him in a manger. Now, you and I think of the manger in sweet ways, don't we? We have our precious moments, uh, nativity scene, or maybe we have some other nativity scene, and we, we, we think of the manger as glorious and beautiful. But a manger, friends, is a feeding trough, okay? It's where animals ate at us. So it already tells you Jesus' humble beginnings. And there in the manger, he is, because they are in a barn because there's no place for them in the inn, or in one translation, in the guest room, because it's highly likely that they went to stay with family, maybe some distant relatives. Other people had come for the census, and in fact, there was no room. They end up in the barn, or most likely it was a cave, because those were great places to make a barn. So it's interesting, the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, the Lord, the Son of God, is not born in a palace, not born at Northwest Community, not even born in a clinic, but is born in a barn and laid in a manger. Well, that's already a pretty hard thing to hear about the birth of the King of Kings, right? But in verse 8, the story takes a different turn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields. They weren't out there for a short period of time. They were living in the fields. 
They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And you need to know that we kind of imagine shepherds as something glorious and beautiful. And indeed, Luke wants us to connect to the good shepherd boy, King David. Remember, King David in the Old Testament was a shepherd. But shepherds were really not very respected people. They lived in the fields. They lived with their animals. <coughs> so they were very likely unclean. Probably couldn't even go to synagogue or temple. They might have even been looked down upon. And some readings about ancient understandings of shepherds is that they really weren't very honest and they could actually be thieves. So it's interesting that we're starting off with shepherds. Then an angel of the Lord stood before these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I just want you to know that if an angel appears and announces to you, it's okay to be terrified. The shepherds were. So there they were terrified and the angel said to them, as they always do when they scare us to death, right? Do not be, yeah, come on, right? An angel appears out of nowhere. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. And so I'm sure the shepherds, when they hear that this will be a sign, are expecting, wow, there'll be a palace, or there'll be a festival, or there'll be brass, or there'll at least be coffee and donuts, right? There'll be something amazing about this king who has been born. And this will be a sign to you. And the sign will be that you will find this child, this king of kings, this lord of lords, wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Luke wants you to see that Jesus is not like the emperor who has declared the census. Jesus wants you to know that Jesus stands outside the understandings of power. And in fact, Jesus comes as a humble servant in very humble surroundings and I'm living and lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was an angel of multitude of angels with the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. This glorious moment. And it's interesting that the angels don't appear to Mary and Joseph. Now at home probably in your nativity scene on the top of the stable you've got an angel there. Well it's wrong so take it off when you get home tonight, right? <laughs> Because the angel's out in the field with the shepherds, she never showed up at the stable. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. And I'm sure they're shocked that they're for the first people to receive the word. I, I think it says a lot about the shepherds and how their lives are already being transformed by the birth of Jesus. If you live in the fields and you care for sheep, it's a real risk to leave them there, right? Anybody raise sheep? Anybody been around sheep? There are not a lot of sheep in Buffalo Grove. I don't know. But I was on a farm with sheep, and I'm just going to be honest with you, they're stupid, right? <laughs> they get caught in fences. They get lost. They wander off. They eat too much. They eat the wrong thing. They get sick easily. They're prey to easy predators. They're a real, real lot of difficulty, right? So for the shepherds to believe this announcement so intensely, to leave their very lifeblood, says a great deal about who they are. So they go, and they don't go slowly. In fact, the word is they made haste. That means they went very fast. And there they went to Bethlehem, and there they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger just as they'd been sold. 
And when they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it there in the barn were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They were, they were amazed. In fact, it says they were shocked at what they heard that these shepherds who showed up out of nowhere said angels appeared in the fields and told us of the birth of this child. And in verse 19, which I think is so fabulous, and we often skip over it, but it's so important, but Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Mary realizes in this moment that something is happening. She's already known it when Elizabeth becomes pregnant. She already knows it when Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, can't speak when the angel appears to him in the temple. She's already known it when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the highlands of Judea. And as soon as she arrived, the womb of of Elizabeth leapt because John the Baptist knew that Jesus was there. Mary knew when, when the angel appeared to her and she said, yes, Lord, I will be your servant and I will magnify you. Yes, but in this moment, it's like it all comes together that in fact these shepherds, these lowest of low, these folks who live in the fields with sheep have told her what she already somewhat knew. And she treasured these words and she pondered them in her heart. And Mary will do that again. And then these shepherds, these shepherds return to their fields glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I love this story from Luke so much because it shows us the difficulty and the brokenness of the story, right? Mary and Joseph don't get a visit from the angels. They end up going through the hard labor of giving birth to a baby in a barn and laying him in a feeding trough. The angels appear to folks who are on the very edges of society, the shepherds, people who didn't deserve a message of good news, and yet they're the first to hear that indeed the Son of God has come. And then they all come together in not a glorious palace or a banquet hall or even, you know, at Cooper's Hawk, right? That's not where they meet up, right? They meet up in a barn in the midst of animals and real life and real hardship, and it's there that they share their stories and they rejoice and Mary ponders and treasures these words beyond belief. The gift of Jesus does not come to us perfectly. The gift of Jesus does not come in some grandiose pomp and circumstance. The gift of Jesus comes to us in humility and brokenness and reality and struggle and uncertainty. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. Amen? I'm grateful that in the midst of my own brokenness and my own challenges, I'm grateful for in the midst of a pandemic and the uncertainty of this world, and I'm grateful in the midst of cancer and disease and uncertainty and mental illness and challenge and depression, that all of these things that can be so overwhelming and addiction and all of those things, that Jesus is born into the reality of our world and says to us that I'm Emmanuel, God with us, God has shown his love to us. Amen? Gifts are not always perfect, but they're life-changing. I've told this story before, I think, but uh, one of my favorite stories about my dad, who passed away this year, is uh, a story about Christmas Eve. You see, my mother, if you knew her, and she's watching tonight, so I'm going to hear about it tomorrow morning. Uh, That's the difficulty of live streaming, amen. (laughs) My mother uh, loves Christmas, but she hates surprises. 
So she likes also to make Christmas Eve and the opening of gifts a huge ordeal. I mean like a huge ordeal. So we would come home from church or from my grandparents and we would each open each gift individually one at a time. So like Sandy could not order, you could not open before me. I would open, then it's your turn, then Vicky, then Paul, and here we go. You know what I'm saying? And, and you didn't just open the gift. You had to open it carefully, save the bow, all of this stuff. Anybody know that? And then you had to try it on if it was close. It, 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 was, it was unbelievable. We would start at, you know, like 7 o'clock and maybe by midnight, you know, Santa had come and gone, right? Because we were still, here's my new shirt, Right? <laughs> The other thing about my mom was, and is, she knows the gift you give her before she opens it. And I'm saying 100% accuracy. Now, us kids kind of got used to that, right? We just knew that whatever we gave her, she already knew. We believe, and I still believe to this day, she had a steamer and some tools And when we were at school, she opened every gift, wrote a list, because we would say, Mom, I gave you, oh, what a beautiful sweater, I'm sure. And it was, right? We all had a little trouble with that. But the person who really had trouble with that was my dad. And every year, my dad worked so hard to surprise my mother. Every year, he worked so hard so that she would say, I don't know what it is, but I share with you, that never happened. Miraculously, my mother knew what my dad gave her every year. And he was so frustrated. So there was one year. He gave her a few gifts. Of course, she guessed them at 100% accuracy. We thought we were all done. My mother was very proud of herself because she had guessed everything we gave her. And my dad said the words that threw my mother off. There's one more gift. And you could see the terror in her eyes. One more gift. Yes, there's one more gift, and you'll never guess what it is. Now, what you need to know is that my mother always wanted this beautiful gold watch, and it didn't come that year, and she was so disappointed, and I could see it, because she kept thinking maybe I could see that maybe she'd misguessed and there was a watch, but there wasn't. But tonight, there was one more gift. And so my dad very (laughs) walks out the front door into the front yard, And I think he's going to be coming back shortly, but minutes and minutes and minutes pass, and my dad finally makes his way back in and said, kids, come here, I need your help. And so my mom said, what's going on? Nothing's going on. And so we went outside, and our newfound and beautiful puppy, Bambi, had bits of wrapping paper in his mouth, and he had found this beautiful secret gift in the planter, and he had taken it somewhere on the farm. My mom comes out and says to my dad, well, what, what, what was it? What happened? And he said, the dog took the gift. He was so crestfallen, right? I mean, like, I didn't know if he was going to recover. And she kept saying, now, Weldon, that's my dad's name. Weldon, you just tell me what it is, and I'll found it. And he looked at her with such contempt, I can't tell you, and said, you'll never find out what it is. We looked for a long time, and we, we were on a farm, friends. There's a lot of places that lovely Bambi could have taken the gold watch. Finally, my dad caved, told my mother what it was, and within minutes, she found it. Yeah. 
I think she and Bambi had an agreement. I still don't know, right? My dad was so frustrated, and he was so angry, and he was so, he couldn't see the humor in all this, right? And the joy that we found it. And finally, I think my mom realized it had gone too far, right? And my mom, I remember, came up and put her arms around my dad, and she said, it's the perfect gift. It took a long time to find. It took a trip with our dog, but it's the perfect gift. Jesus comes in the midst of a lot of challenge and brokenness, amen, in our lives, in a world that's divided, in a world that's each other's throat, in a world where we are on each other, when we're, there's all this mean-spiritedness. It's a mess, right? The world is a mess. And just like Pastor Clayton said to me in that pew three years ago, James, I know it's a mess. I know the trees have gone out. It's like my mom said, I know the dog took the watch. But it's a perfect gift. Because it's a gift of love and hope and peace and joy. It's a baby in a feeding trough the Son of God, the Christ, Emmanuel.